It's Easter Sunday, and for most of you, I would say that you probably have grown up and you've always been to church on Easter Sunday. And for uh, all of us that have struggled, that have experienced that, we look forward to it. And uh, it's a it's hard to be uh, separated from the body on this day. And I hope that it, for you, it would be a time just to reflect on just the great blessing we've had to always be able to gather together. And also um, just to be reminded that the Lord is sovereign over this. He is reigning over the circumstances we find ourselves in. And I hope that it will be a great time of refreshment uh, together as a family as you reflect on what God has done for us in Christ. And I hope that it will be um, something that you can remind your kids of. And maybe you'll have some great conversations after we uh, begin today. So let's go ahead and pray and then we will study this together. Father, I thank you for Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection. We pray for wisdom today by your Spirit to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good in these truths. And I pray we'd be thankful for the marvelous privilege we have to, even with these means today, to gather together. And and I pray we will look forward to the times that we're going to have together in the future. And we praise you for your goodness and mercy in all of these things. In Christ's name. Amen. So in my home, we occasionally have something like this go on. Someone will say, I never get to do what so-and-so gets to do. Or um, I, I never get that seat or that place on the couch or whatever. There are a lot of different things that um, I, I never get as much time as as this brother gets or that one gets or they always get the best choice of maybe the item that we're eating or the certain present that's kind of before us and so things like this come up all the time where it's like it's not fair and and i you know i never really get to um to get the things that someone else gets and so so i'll turn that around in our family and i'll say something like i always have to go to work or it's not fair. I have to pay taxes or something like that. And so I'll mess around. They'll be like, hold on just a second. Settle down, dad. Let that go. Don't make such a big deal of it. Well, it's something that I think is really important uh, to us as we're looking at this is none of us, when we look at this text, can say, oh, we don't get this or these privileges aren't for us or God hasn't really blessed me in that way or God hasn't touched us in a marvelous way. He has told us here that these blessings are for every believer, that, that we get to experience them, that we can put our hope in them, and that we should never ever say, oh, God's forgotten us. He's not for us. He's not uh, going to take care of us. All those things we have to say, no, 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 those are lies. Those are lies. Just like in our house, we have to remind each other of the truth about those situations. Just like when I'm faking my kids out like a little bit and being like, oh, look how bad my life is. They have to come back. They come back to me and say, hold on just a second, Dad, but don't you see you have this blessing and that blessing and this blessing? And so I, I think for all of us today, this is one of those times where you say repetition's good. And, and then also repeating something in such a way 
that is a good argument for us to be able to like logically think through in our mind, that's good. And so as we think about this Easter morning and we consider uh, Christ's perfect sacrifice and his resurrection, I hope that this will be a good reminder for you. This passage certainly uh, fits into this season, and I hope that you will see that very clearly. So let's do a quick recap on what we've been studying in Romans 8. In 8, 1 through 13, we found out that we are good standing in good standing with the judge of the universe. Uh, we are justified. We have to press into that, that we're not condemned. Uh, then we also found out that we've been rescued from the slave market. And I keep going over that because I think it's very, very important for us to see. So you're pressing into that truth. The second thing that we saw was we were adopted into the family. So we leave the courtroom, we leave the slave market, we step into the family or the house. And when we go into the house, we're like, oh yeah, that's right. We've been brought into uh, the family. And this is comes with these great privileges and responsibilities along with being in that family. In 8, 18 through 25, we say, okay, we've been legally adopted, but the fullness of that has yet to come. And so we're still living in... Um, uh, this present world and creation is groaning and we're groaning, but it's not like a groaning that's that's um, uh, you, you might say a groaning that maybe that that comes with this future of total ruin. It's a groaning that comes with a new birth, and so it's like this longing, and so it's a hope-filled groaning. It's a groaning by faith. It's trusting the Lord for what. He has promised to accomplish for us. Last week, we said in this groaning, the Spirit is even helping us because sometimes we're at a loss for words. We don't know what to do or how to respond. And so we are driven back to the fact that the Spirit is working on our behalf and that our sovereign God is providentially taking all the circumstances of our life and working them to our good so that we're conformed into the image of His Son. And, and we were even, Paul even kind of said, look, I want you to look back to eternity past to eternity future and I want you to see this has been God's plan all along for you. He is working out his plan flawlessly in the life of his people. And so we come to this today and today we're saying how should you respond? Like in light of what God has done for us in Christ in light of what Jesus' perfect life, his perfect death, and this marvelous resurrection, how can we live? How should we live? And that's what we're going to see today. Paul is going to use logic. He is going to work you through step by step, question by question, and help you, if you haven't got it yet, help you get this reality in your heart. So this series of questions will cause you to consider the truths that he's been presenting to us. So that's going to be at the heart of this. We're going to look at, there's several questions, but we're going to look at five groupings of questions. Some of it's just one question, others there'll be multiple questions, but it's really how should we respond to these things? That would be at the heart of this passage today. So verse 31 starts, what shall we say to these things? He is writing to a struggling people in the first century, going through uh, extreme trouble. And as this storm is raging on the outside, what he is saying, like internally, I want you to get this reality in your minds and in your hearts. And I want you to stand on these truths. 
He is going to quiz them, if you will, and then answer the quiz so that they can come away with an understanding. So again, it's coming with five questions and he's going to help them see these marvelous truths unfold. So the first thing you see, the first question kind of out of the box is, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's really like if God is for, if he has like purposed our glory, like he's transforming us. If God is for us, if, if what he says he's going to do is going to be done and he is like fighting for us, he is pushing forward for us. If he's really for us, then who can be against us? Really, in a way, you could say he's combating fear in your life. Like, and there are things in this world that, like, when we're facing them, you could say, man, I could get really afraid of this. Last night, uh, my oldest son was asking me questions. He's been reading uh, his Bible, just not really by us pushing him that much. As, I mean, we, of course, say, hey, you should read your Bible. But but it's uh, he's just kind of on his own. He, he began to read different passages. So he was in 2 Samuel, where our church has been studying, uh, like maybe a few, like maybe, well, I guess now it's been about a month ago. Uh, he's been, um, yesterday he was reading Job. And I, and I just kind of, he's going to these different passages and reading them. And um, one of the things he said, like, there are some really frightening things in the Bible. And I said, yes, there certainly are. And so what we'll have to do is kind of match his fears, like some of the things that he could say, man, that could really be frightening and help him understand how these people walked in faith, empowered by God's spirit to move forward, even in the face of great fear. And so we may say, OK, I'm, I'm afraid of something. And, and, and there's different responses to that. Somebody might say, well, I've always been afraid of like physical harm being beat up. And so I've spent my whole life maybe learning some uh, karate, you know, or maybe I'm like working out and pumping iron every day. And I'm trying to get to this point where I can like protect myself physically. Some people may have gone a little bit further and said, well, um, I am afraid of, uh, I know that I, I can't really physically, uh, fight everyone off. So I buy, uh, enormous amounts of guns and bullets, and I'm constantly practicing because I'm going to protect myself uh, in some regard. Some of you may say, "Well, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm more afraid than that. Uh, I'm afraid of like some attack that would come from another government, and I'm trying to prepare myself. And so, like, I have a bunker, you know, in my backyard, and I'm prepared for some uh, apocalyptic event that's going to come." There are all different types of ways that we can fear. Now, what would Paul say to that? Is it wise to do certain things like, you know, in this world that, to protect ourselves from like putting ourselves in harm's way? Of course, but here at the heart of this, he's saying what you need to understand is it, when, when, when you really get a grasp of the fact that you can't protect yourself from all of these things that could come at you, what does he say? He's saying there is one who is for us that no one can stand against him. That, that's, that's at the heart of this. Like, are you afraid? Okay, there's one who has made sure and is for you, who is on your side, who is, who is holding you up. 
and no one can stand against him. Daniel 4, 34 and 35, when uh, you see Dan uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was this great king and the most powerful king uh, at his time in history. He, I mean, he was powerful, right? And what we find out there is that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, once he understood who the Most High was, this is what he says, that he praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will uh, uh, among or in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. What's he saying? He is saying, listen, God is God. God reigns over all things. God is the king of the universe. He has everlasting dominion. So if God is on your side, Paul clearly lays out for us, what's going to happen to you? right? If, if he is with us, what's going to happen to us? Second, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if God is about bringing about the purpose for which he saves you, which is to bring uh, you to a state of glory, then what are you worried about with regard to your needs? That would kind of be the second thing that would be at the heart of this. Listen, God has taken his most prized possession, his son, his one and only son, his begotten son. He has taken him and he has graciously uh, given him to the church to rescue them. If that's true, why do you think he's going to withhold from you in the small areas of life. That, that's kind of the next area. And that, that's important for us. When we're thinking about like what God has done on this Easter Sunday, you're considering like when we, we sometimes at Easter, you know, we give gifts and we think about the great gift that we have been given. And so what I think it's important for us when we're looking at that is this. We need to come to the place where we recognize that the only hope that we have for really our needs being met is through the one who has graciously given his son and then graciously gives us all things. These are things that, that come to us all along the way throughout life, like financial fears, or we think we're not going to be able to take care of this and that and the other. But the reality is here in this text, he's saying, listen, God has graciously taken care of you on the highest possible level and it cost him more than you could ever imagine how do we not think that he is going to care for us in these other areas of life matthew 10 26 through 31 says have no fear for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And are, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And he's just kind of, Jesus is saying there to the disciples who are about to enter into troubled waters, if you will, he is saying to them, listen, you are more valuable than sparrows. And then what you're going to find out is, is you are so valuable that Jesus is going to offer his life for them. So how much of your time is wasted on fear? 
I mean, how much of your life is driven by fear? You, you might say, oh, I'm not really that afraid. How much of your life is spent thinking about not being able to provide for yourself or not being able to care for yourself or whatever it may be? And that is a struggle for many of us, most of us, I would say. And right now, like rightly so, you might say, well, that I can, can't you see how I'd be afraid of all of those things? Like, do you not see what's going on in our world? And I would say like, run back to these truths, use logic, use the logic of the apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who is speaking to us. If he, if he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. If he, if he, if he offered the most wonderful thing that he could, the most valuable thing that he could, if he offered that for us, do you not see that you're valued and that he wants to take care of you and will take care of you? Third thing that you see here, who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. You notice here that he is, when he says he, he is justified, that, that has the idea of being in good standing. And we say that often, just if we were to stand in the courtroom, it would, you, you would be in this place of like, not only are, are, is your, have your, um, I don't know how to, how to say this clearly for you, but it, it's, it's like you might have walked in there and thought like, oh, I'm guilty of all these things. And the judge pronounces over you, not just not guilty, but in good standing. That, that's kind of the, the picture there. And, and you might say, well, can you flesh that out for me? And we will as we move forward. But it's just saying like you are in good standing. If someone were to bring a case before the judge of the universe, you would find yourself in good standing. That's, that is kind of where we are here. And I think about some of the things that people deal with in our world where you might be thinking like, um, I don't know, from a standpoint of your relationships, there might be someone who is constantly just driving home all of these points about you that might be like they're attacking you and they say, well, you've done this and you've done that. And, and there's all this stuff kind of coming on you and you think like, I don't, I don't know, even know what to do with this. I feel so much guilt. Or maybe you don't even have to have anybody say it. Maybe in your head, you're thinking about all the things that you, you've done and all the wrongs that you have uh, uh, done against someone, and you just can't get over that. This passage speaks to you. Really, uh, you're going to see this, but it, it, it speaks to you in a very, very powerful way. Romans 3, 21 through 26 speaks of it, and it speaks of a righteousness of God that's been manifested apart from man. It's an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness outside of us that has come. And this righteousness is of God, and it comes through faith for all who believe. It's, it's not that people haven't sinned. People have sinned, and, and everybody's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now there's this righteousness that comes outside of us, and it comes to rescue us, to, to, to save us from sin's penalty. And it's, it's an extremely powerful thing. So that in verse 24, it says, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is salvation that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so what is he saying? God's wrath was satisfied 
through the, the offering of his son who took on for us, took our sins upon himself. He experienced God's wrath for us. He brought salvation and it came as a gift. It is not something we accomplished, but something he accomplished for us. Now, verse 26 says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So when we're thinking about this and you're kind of considering this whole section, you're saying God is for us. That's clearly seen in the text. We also would say that not only is God uh, for us, but that he has lavishly blessed us. He has gifted us with his son. And then third, you would say, listen, if you're to stand in the court, you understand that God has justified you. Like you're not justifying yourself. You're not coming up with a case and saying, oh, look at all that I've done. We know that the case against us is that we are guilty. But God has brought justification to us. I mean, I think it's really important because sometimes even as a spouse, maybe you're, you have some, a spouse or you as a spouse are constantly trying to bring up a case against one another, you know, and you're constantly like saying, well, I can't believe, could God ever forgive you for that? Could this or that or the other? And you say, listen, God has justified me. He is both just and justifier. He did not throw the case away. He did not sweep my sin under the, uh, like a, a rug. His, our sins were dealt with fully and finally. And there's a record in the court that these sins had been dealt with. But now we can say we have been justified by faith. It's nothing that we deserve. It is something he has given to us as a gift. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I, I think it's important to say, what do you do with your fear? What do you do when you think about the needs that you'll have? What do you do with your guilt? Every one of those things. Cross and resurrection, cross and resurrection, cross and resurrection. You keep preaching the gospel over those things. Fourth, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So it's kind of one of those things where you would look at this and say, if the Christ who lived a perfect life and died a perfect death could, could, um, if, if there's a way to be condemned, like his perfect life and perfect death, like it's already dealt with that. Like you can't deal with that again. There's no more fear of eternal punishment because the eternal punishment fell on him. That, that's the picture you see here. You can't be condemned again. Why would you be condemned again if Christ uh, laying down his life for us, if it satisfied God, like how, how could there be another satisfaction for that? It doesn't need to be done again. He has accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. The perfect eternal son of God became man. He walked this earth perfectly. He died on the cross perfectly. He satisfied the, the wrath of God on our behalf. There is no more condemnation to come. He has already been condemned in our place. Not only that, he was raised. What, what, what did the raising uh, do? Romans 4, 24 and 25 says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What does it say? It says like 
when God raised Jesus from the dead, he said, I'm satisfied with what was accomplished there. When Jesus said, it is finished, the resurrection said, absolutely, it was finished. Sunday morning said, it was finished and I accepted it. Now I'm raising him from the dead. So when you see the resurrection, you say, God is satisfied. God is satisfied. I don't have to like sit at night and wonder, will I be eternally condemned? If I am in Christ, if, if, if I am in Christ, if I have put my faith and trust and hope in him, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is only a record of righteous. You are in good standing. The case was accepted. The charges were filed. The judgment pronounced. The penalty paid. And it was declared to be so on the resurrection. You can stand on that. God was satisfied with what he did. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you would say, and when we're looking at this, there's nothing to fear. Our needs will be met. There's no more guilt, no more condemnation. So what are you worried about? So Paul follows up with fifth, the fifth thing here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when you look at this, when you consider this, when you think about your situation, all these troubles, hardships, persecution, famine, whatever, when all of the Christians throughout history have looked upon those things, and we know some have faced uh, enormous struggles, some in greater measure, some have actually died for the faith, but at the end of the day, when we look at that, you could say nothing in human experience, that is death or life, in the spiritual realm, the angels and demons, in time, these things present or future, anything that opposes God's people, the powers that are attacking his people, or in space, height or depth, no, nothing, none of those things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not one. And you, and you may even, like, and that's always helpful for me to go back to this, but in John 10, 28 and 29, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What he's saying is I, they're gripped by grace, right? They're gripped. They're held on to. It's not about the strength of your hand even. It's his hand holding on to you. He is the all-powerful God who loves you. And you can trust that. And, and you need to be convinced of that. And you need to be convinced of it over and over and over and over again. And you have to kind of work through logically and say, do I know these things to be true? Can I be convinced of those? I mean, have I really been called? Have I really come to faith in the Lord? Ha have I known his saving grace in my life? Yes. Okay, so what is true now? Should I be afraid? 
Should I be worried? Should I feel guilty? Should I be concerned about condemnation? No. Logic says no. Logic says here, it says, listen, there's nothing that can separate you from that kind of love. He has demonstrated over and over that the crucifixion and the resurrection, as you put those two together, it builds this unbelievable case that you are more secure than you ever imagined. You're more secure than you could understand or comprehend. And if you're not living with that assurance, then you need to read the gospel and reread it. If you say, well, I've been a believer for a long time, but assurance is one of those things, I'd say, then you delve deeply into these truths. Go back over them and go back over them until you have combated those false lies that you have been believing. This Easter Sunday could be that Sunday where you come to the realization that his love for you surpasses anything you ever imagined and no one will separate you from it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we as a church would see and savor and wonder in the glorious promises that you have given us in Christ. May we hold fast to that. In Christ's name, amen.